it was um, empowering, it was cathartic, it was, um, it was joyous. The marches here in, in the city, are, we were shutting down highways. Even to go out, and this is what I was saying about the solidarity, even to go out to protest the injury to one that was done to, to George Floyd, they, you know, they would have to make that calculation themselves. And people are making that calculation. They're going out there with masks on. Socialist mayor and, you know, just a sweep of all elected offices. You're listening to Thinking Through the Times with Bidjoo Matthew. George Floyd, rest in power. Welcome to a new episode of Thinking Through the Times. As New York and other American cities experience waves of protest in response to the brutal murder of George Floyd, I thought that one of the things that I could do was to bring to you voices of young protesters, not the celebrities, not the known names, but people who are joining these protests. Who are they and why are they joining these protests? And so today is the first of such conversations. This one with Romeo Lemba, a young Dominican activist who's lived here in New York City all his life. An environmental activist and a person with a deep and keen sense of social justice. Romeo has been out there in several protests, traversing the city back and forth from his home in Harlem. And so I started with just simply asking him how he felt, what was the mood like? What were the conversations in the middle of the protest? How he made his decision? What got him past that COVID fear? And here's Romeo Lemba. We were cooped up in our homes for months. I've been working from home since early March. Um, and I got into I got into that habit based on uh, based on the understanding of the danger of COVID, and I think that's where we all were. Um, and so when this happened, I, I I thought to myself, you know, are are people going to come out? This uh, well, first of all, uh, rest in power to George Floyd. Um, the video is is alarming. It is one of the most heartfelt, I've had one of the most heartfelt reactions to, to, to police violence in my life um, through watching that video. It, it hit me in a way that other videos haven't, hadn't. And I think others, others felt that particularly in Minneapolis. And I think that's where the story starts as far as the protests go because um, they started in Minneapolis after the murder happened. And my assessment is that the the burning down of the precinct by the uh, by the protesters in their, those initial days was a pivotal moment in in the the outburst that we saw in the following weeks up until now. Um, there's a very long history of of police violence in this country that people are getting a, a lot more acclimated to um, and. That activated everyone from the slumber that they were having due to COVID. 
Um, and there were all, you know, and I, I, I say slumber, and by that I mean, you know, the, the, the sort of routine of being inside and watching the news and feeling, feeling even a little powerless um, or very powerless. And um, the people of Minneapolis, they didn't set the precinct on fire. They set the world on fire. Um, the protest spread immediately, and uh, it spread to all, to all different sorts of cities in, in the U.S. with different working class characters, different um, demographic makeups. Um, and in New York City in particular, um, you know, just a few friends of mine on the left, not really organized, they just said, hey, Romeo, come out to the march with us. This, this has to happen. You got you to gotta make it out. We know that you're about this. And um, once I did that and I, I, I sort of broke the routine that I was in, um, it was um, empowering. It was cathartic. It was, um, it was joyous. The marches here in, in the city are some of the most uh, diverse marches that I've seen. The marches are being organized spontaneously, and I, I can go more 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 into that. Yeah, that that's that's a brief summary of or how I've seen some of this develop and my initial thoughts. I'm very happy that you went back, framed the COVID moment, and kind of outlined for us that moment when you just made that decision that this is it, that you need to be out on the streets, and every emotion that you captured there in terms of how you felt once you did it, once you broke past that initial fear of being out there with this, the COVID crisis still there very much as part of our lives. Which is the first march you went to? Where? Where did you go? Who was there? What did you see around? The first march I went to was the Saturday after the, the, uh, the murder happened. The murder happened on Monday, on Memorial Day. And it wasn't until that following Saturday that I got out there. Wednesday was when the uh, the third precinct in Minneapolis was burned. Thursday and Friday are when some of the first mass protests uh, spread across the, the the country. Friday, in particular, um, I was checking in with checking in with my friends, and that's when we had a long conversation about what the risks are and um, how important this time is and how unique it is, given the, the economic crisis, the health crisis, um, and, and, and the, the racial crisis that we were witnessing. Um, and it was that Friday night that I decided to go out on Saturday and I spent, I spent the whole day out on, on Saturday. Um, I was in Brooklyn, I was in, in Manhattan, where some of the largest protests have happened. Um, in Brooklyn, in, I, I, uh, I was there throughout most of the day. Um, it, was, it was throughout the evening and at night that things got a little more rowdy. People were looting and, and uh, destroying, destroying all sorts of property and police vehicles. And um, I was in Manhattan during that evening where it was a little bit more calm. But um, I, um, I, w I joined marches that... You know, I didn't even know who was organizing these marches. There, there are social media posts that say, hey, there's a march happening. 
this day, this time. No information about the organizers, no other information about where you're going. It, it just happens. And you go, and you don't know where the march is going, and sometimes it stops, and you look to see who, who's out in front of the march, and you see a few people interacting with each other, talking about where to go next. You know, they're, I mean, uh, for, for sure it was an ad hoc thing on their part, um, and, or at least the march that I went to. But, it, it, you know, it didn't take away from the march at all. As I said, the um, people, people just came out. Um, it was an outpouring people from all different mm -hmm. backgrounds. Um, and mm -hmm. as, as we went through Manhattan, you know, we had the cars honking. We were shutting down highways on both sides of Manhattan. Manhattan was, was almost locked down, um, shutting down bridges. You know, you knew when you were part of the march that the city is paying attention because you, cannot, mm -hmm. you could not have been in the city without knowing there's something, something large happening. Lots of people are on the streets, especially after the sort of routine that the past few months had brought to the city. Throughout the, throughout the marches, you know, all sorts of different types of banners, um, slogans, and, and, there, and there's a lot to be said about the slogans that, that are, that are being, being used in this time. Um, marches in English and Spanish, poetry readings, just a, a general feeling of solidarity. Um, and, I, I, and I think that's what, um, that's what I hold in my heart the most from the time that I've been out here. Solidarity is, is something that, you know, it can take a bit of analysis to have that feeling be expressed in somebody uh, politically. But in this case, you know, given the risks, people know they're putting their health at risk, their family's health at risk, going out to these protests. They know from the videos that they've seen that the police, during those first few days especially, were, you know, the crowd were getting so large, the police had to attack before they got any larger and out of hand for them. Um, and so, and, and protesters knew that. And in spite of all of that, they kept on coming out and making these protests as large as possible. That's a solidarity that um, I personally haven't witnessed myself. I've read about, but it's, um, it's a different type of solidarity or it's, or it's an elevated kind of solidarity that I feel is where the left could be going. I feel like the, there, are, there are advances being made. So before we come to the question of the left and whether there are advances being made, you grew up in New York City. And from what you just said, would you say that you've not experienced a moment like this in your entire life in New York City? Yeah, that's right. That is it's certainly right. And I, you know, I, I felt that um, as just a younger person during the beginning of the of the COVID crisis. I was politicized after 2008. I got a sense of what was happening in 2008, but I, I hadn't done enough reading. I wasn't as aware of, of the political economy of the world to understand what was happening. I was still, still in high school at the time. The COVID crisis uh, was the first time that I saw with eyes open how the system interacts to to these kinds of obstacles, and I, I was in a stupor for a while myself. Uh, there was so much, so much going on that it was hard to process. Uh, but with this, you know, it, it was just another, another level of that, uh, with, with, with the protests that, that, that were sparked after the, after the murder. And I'd never seen New York like this in my life. It, it's as simple as like walking down a highway, you know? 
usually something that you do in a car. I'd never in my life, and I thought about it while I was walking. Wow, when have I ever walked through this highway? No less with 10,000 other people for something like this, knowing that so many people were watching. It was it uh it showed me the power of what a mass. What were you on on BQE on the FDR on uh, the Henry Hudson? What were you on on the on the Henry Hudson on the west side? Wow. And, uh, yep. Clear. It's clear. As you said, you were still in high school when 2008 happened. You've lived in New York City. You know the racial politics of the city. And when this happened, you found yourself in the middle of a moment that you had never thought you would find yourself in. Right. What do you see as the one part of the one part of the answer, of course, is as to why this happened now is, of course, the fact that, you know, the crisis was building. I mean, in, in, in many ways, what I'm trying to what I'm trying to get to is, do you see this as some kind of a rupture? Do you see this as some kind of a break from everything that has happened in the past? You, I mean, even though you said you had not been politicized much in 2008, and 12 years later, this is something that you'd never experienced before living in New York City. I, in, in your own understanding, I mean, do you see that somehow something has changed and this is some kind of a moment of rupture, some, some kind of a moment of a break from everything that has been there in the past in your life personally, but also in a larger political frame? I would hope so. We're a few weeks into it. Um, I'm, um, I, I, I wish I had the foresight to say, but um, it definitely feels like like it as I, as I as I think about what's in the ether these days it definitely feels like it and I you know from the protest to even the interpersonal experiences that I've been having I've never made so much progress in politicizing loved ones and friends than I have in the past week I've had discussions with with people close to me every day um, and, and, and given that they they know I'm, I'm deeply passionate about these issues the sort of battle of ideas is is, is we're on a terrain where, uh, where I think we're we're heavily in favor. I think the um, the understanding of civil society, specifically around the police and their and their role, you know, I've I've never witnessed or I've never had such an easy an easier time uh, discussing really fundamental ideas around social contracts what the role of the police is, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like a hot knife through butter sometimes. It surprises me. It's, it's fascinating uh, that you described it as a hot knife through butter, some of the ease with which you're able to see the change in consciousness in people. Absolutely fascinating. Talk, talk a little bit about one such conversation. I mean, with a cousin, with a friend, whoever, just think of one particular conversation and walk us through it. Yeah, well. Maybe even one of the more difficult ones for that matter, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, with, my, with my own father, um, he, uh, he understands how passionate I am. He uh, was very worried throughout many of the days that I was going out uh, because he knew about the, the rioting and the looting and... Uh, what 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 the police were doing in response, even to peaceful protesters, and so I, I've I've had several discussions with him, um, 
And there was a lot of, of progress made around class that I've had with him beforehand, you know, given his, his working class background, he works as a, as a taxi driver here in the city, you know, immigrant. And so he, he comes from that background and, and, and talking to him about class issues, I think, is, is particularly easy. I, I, I sort of know pathways where I can reach him. But now, um, and, and this is important given that we're Dominican, which I mentioned earlier, there's a, there's a very specific racial politics in the Dominican Republic. Um, and it, it's very much based around the long lasting effects of white supremacy. Some listeners might know there's a tension between the Dominican Republic and Haiti. And that, that led to, uh, that, or that, that, that leads to debates uh, very relevant to the, to the debates around white supremacy here in the U.S., specifically around race. And in this time, um, I, you know, he was so intrigued by what was happening and, and really wanted to understand. And I was able to talk to him for two hours just about the history of this country, the history of the police, the struggles of black people, and, and, and how the world gets activated when black people reveal the contradictions of U.S. society and given, you know, how broad the, the influence of the U.S. is. Um, naturally, when black people rise up, the people of the world will see. And it's, it's, you know, it's something that he understood very quickly based on some of the other conversations I, I've, I've had with him, particularly about the 60s when uh, there was also uprisings in the Dominican Republic and MLK was speaking about them. And I, you know, I mentioned that to him and I was able to connect dots with him given his own curiosity and given his own understanding of, of or not just understanding, I mean, it was, it was in plain sight what the police were doing and, and how, how, um, how vicious the, um, the police and, and, and the system can be. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to hear that you went, that you went back to conversations with your dad and that, you know, the conversations about change and politics is happening, you know, with people so close and intimate as your dad. But yeah. back to the streets for a moment. And from what I know, you are just moving from being a person who participates in marches to being one who organizes a march. Right. What made you make that move? What is it about the moment? I'm, I'm sure some of it is coincidence. Some of it is happenstance. Were you ready when the opportunity came? Or is this uh, after a lot of thinking that you've decided that you're going to get involved in organizing a march? Well, um, I think this, this moment in general is uh, to me showing the fruits of, of, of the labor that I've done and the labor that, that many on the left have done. Um, and I, I think you can see that through slogans like defund the police. That wasn't around in 2014, 2015, 2016. The embers of the black, black liberation movement that started um, and, you know, and that sparked throughout those times were working to have language like that prepared for this time. And it's, it's paying dividends. And the left more generally has just been more active. Networks are being created. Teaching is being done. Analysis is being sharpened. And I think that's being used, used in this time. For me, in, in, in participating in, in organizing a march, particularly around Latinx solidarity, uh, that'll be happening in, this, in New York City uh, this coming weekend, um, it was based on a connection I had 
with a professor that taught me the most that I've ever learned in my life about race in the U.S., uh, a Dominican professor, no less, uh, that, I, that I learned from, that I met a few years back. And there was a network of labor activists, old 60s radicals that, that were in the Black Panther Party and the Young Lords, um, community organizations, churches, um, and we came together. And it's it's been um, it's been a, a huge lesson for me. It's the first time I'm doing it, but I understand it's a leap of faith. Um, you're not always going to be the most prepared or as prepared as you want to be, but um, you have to believe. It just is so you know. I mean, it 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 goes deep inside when it, you when when you're able to talk about the the decision to be part of organizing a march in the way that you did just now because it connects back to the earlier notion of solidarity that you had been trying to articulate. So where do you see this going, Romeo? It's, uh, I wish I could say. I think um, one of the lessons that I'm learning at this moment is that we need to be very, very much prepared to, um, to track uh, track the conjuncture as well as we can. And be, because of that, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't exactly say where this is going. But what I do know is that, like I said, uh, the battle of ideas right now uh, is on a terrain that is very much on our side. Um, there are instances like the, the uh, debates around Colin Kaepernick and the NFL and kneeling that if people hadn't noticed, the NFL commissioner said kneeling is okay. And, you know, that's that's a struggle Colin Kaepernick has had to deal with for years, and he's still not going to get his job. But, you know, it would have been headline news for weeks if this had happened in any other time. And it's specifically around this moment where the battle of ideas, like I said, is, 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 in, our, is in our advantage and the advantage of the left. And... That's where the, the, the work of the Black Liberation Movement is bearing its fruits. Like I said, slogans like defund the police, um, they cut through the logic of the past four or five decades of subjugating people to the, to the, to the violence that's so intensely entrenched into this country. And it's the headline of every major paper in the U.S. Radical enough to know people have to have a response and they'll shy away from it if they're if they're presented with it like Joe Biden but in other cases like in Minneapolis the city council has already passed a veto proof majority vote saying that not they're not just going to defund or make a small budget cut they're going to and this is what the hope is <laughs> let's see what happens they're going to completely revamp their understanding of what law enforcement is like in the city Similar advances are being made in New York. As I'm speaking, I hear there's a vote to, to, to pass a police reform bill and in many, many other countries, I mean, many other cities and, and, you know, and countries because some of that, some of the advances yeah. are being made in other countries. What I'm hearing from you is an analysis that says that we are going to make significant gains, but I'm also, what I'm also hearing from you is a little bit of caution and... Right. That's fine. I think I think I think those three things together 
make for make, make for good politics. In the same way that you described the capacity that we suddenly have to be able to cut through layers and layers of uh, ideological confusion mm-hmm. uh, and get to the kernel of the problem of racial justice in this country uh, and and the, the, the metaphor you used was a hot knife through butter. I'm going to kind of kind of mess with this scenario a bit by saying, you know, the gruesome murder of George Floyd, the hundreds of videos that we've all seen of police violence, especially against African-Americans, and I don't just mean murders. I just do. I I don't just mean Eric Garner. I just don't mean Trevon Martin. I mean the number of things we've seen which didn't necessarily even end in murder. Mm-hmm. I understand, therefore, what Flyard's murder has become for many, many of us, and I understand what. George Floyd's murder has become for many, many ordinary people who've had those experiences. But the COVID moment, which kind of sort of, even though you first characterized it as kind of producing this space that everybody was stuck in, that one had to escape from, so to speak, to be able to be part of these protests, I want to flip it and say the COVID moment added to the crisis in the sense that, you know, every, every everything that was wrong with the system was already beginning to be visible. Mm-hmm. I mean, even right. just in the trajectory of thinking about African-American populations mm-hmm. and Latino populations in, in, in this country, we could see that COVID was having a much greater impact on those communities. But it's not just that, but I, 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 I'm, I'm saying that all the contradictions of capitalism itself, right, become extremely clear through this period of COVID. Do you feel that you can cut through the layers of confusion that exist, the ideological, uh, the ideological defenses that are built up over years of socialization in the United States around capitalism? Do you think that the working classes of a city like New York are able to see with clarity what we are able to see within the sphere of racial justice. And is there a shift possible in that domain too, is the question that I'm headed to. I think there is. Um, I think the, uh, the language adopted in this moment around essential workers is, is, a, is a boon to, to, to the left. Um, it's uh, something that we're we're utilizing in our march on uh, this upcoming weekend to make sure people understand um, this is not just uh, in spite of the COVID moment. This is because of the COVID moment as well. Um, and I I I think what's most and and this is what I think is one of the most beautiful things of the moment that I understand that cuts against the ideal cuts against the ideological confusion and and the uh, the veil 
that decades of neoliberalism has wrought upon uh, the consciousness of, of, of working people in this country. The COVID moment already showed people that an injury to one would be an injury to all. People understood that. Economies were being shut down. People were, were losing money because of that understanding. Um, and through that, there was an awakening of labor. Informally, you know, not organized in, 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 in all of its manifestations, um, even though some, you know, some of them came from Walmart and Trader Joe's and Amazon and some of the most viciously anti-union uh, corporations in the U.S., uh, which, which, was, which was an amazing sight to see. But then added to that was this moment around racial justice and the murder of, of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and uh, so, so many others, countless others, um, in that people understood even to go out and this is what I was saying about the solidarity, even to go out to protest the injury to one that was done to, to George Floyd, they, you know, they would have to make that calculation themselves. And people are making that calculation. They're going out there with masks on, with hand sanitizer. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to distance oneself, but people are going out there in bikes. People are doing caravans. Uh, people are understanding the logic of uh, an injury to one being an injury to all in a way that I've never seen before. And we're, we're starting to, to cut through some of this logic. Um, and this is where I sense advances are, have been made um, with, with, with slogans and, and logic, you know, the Medicare for all slogan and the logic that that, that, that uh, produces in people's minds, the logic that defunding the police produces in people's minds around what the role of the police is and violence and why don't they get their budget cuts? Why, is the, why are police forces growing while school supplies are being, you know, while, while school funds are being cut and decimated? Um, it's, it's fundamentally about this, this logic that I think, uh, to your earlier point, is, is most certainly shifting in, in ways that per, I hope will mean a rupture uh, when we look back at this moment in the future. I'm so glad that you brought back that word. I hope, you know, that that's what this moment will mean when we look back in the future. Let me end with a question that, you know, essentially, you know, we run out of time. And so I'm, what, I'm, what I'm doing is trying to pole vault over a whole range of things and saying, and, and trying to see whether that caution that you are putting out is a caution that is there because one doesn't know the precise pathway or it's a caution because you believe that the objective conditions are not right. Because both mm -hmm. those problems exist, right? In the sense that you know, we, we may be cautious because we don't know where to put our next step. Or we may be cautious because our assessment of the situation is that, yeah, it's gone a distance, but not far enough for us to produce radical change. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask the question, and, and this is just an approximation to an assessment of where that caution is coming from. 
it's not uh, it's not in any way comprehensive my question is can you see new york city with a socialist mayor and a majority socialist city council in 2021 in 2021 a year from now let's say a little more than a year from now a little more say. than a year from now um you got 15 you got 15 months from you mhm socialist mayor and you know just a sweep of all elected offices so it's a tall order in 15 months i can't see it happening uh, all right just a socialist I, mayor <laughs> <laughs> that i can see actually i'm not sure where the candidates are being fielded from but i i can see that I can see that. And thank you so much Romeo. That's yeah. really a wonderful note to end our first conversation on. Um I think just the character of this conversation tells me that maybe this is something that we should do um every so often maybe once a month or something like that. Uh as a kind of a record of the times. right i mean just trying to find a way to keep a record of the times and maybe this is just one wonderful way of doing it i'd be happy to help you do that it's, it's been <laughs> right. a pleasure thank you so much catch you soon thank you happy to be here you're listening to thinking through the times with bitchy mouth here